Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Welcome to our Saturday session. Um, I um, wanted to just call out, we had, um, I think, two incredible um, must-watch um, events here um, this week. One was um, the conversation with um, Laura El Borno, who is also known as Gazan Girl on Instagram. She has an incredible following. Um, she is always reporting what's happening on the ground. Um, she has dedicated the, the vast majority of her adult life to studying um, and fighting for everything, um, you know, Palestine. Um, she has an incredible podcast called Palestine Pod. But we, we had the great blessing of having a two hour long conversation which just flew by. Um, and I think it was you know, extremely insightful. She's an international um, human rights lawyer that's working on refugee rights. Um, but I think that um, you know, the combination of seeing like, what is happening on the ground at, at the activist level on social media, things getting suppressed, um, and you know, just her experience in addition to um, what the sheikh was able to um, add for our you know, greater understanding of you know, the history, the, the you know, theology, um, but more importantly, I'm not, for me personally, like when we got into the topic of Jerusalem and the significance of Al-Aqsa Mosque and all of the confusion, the purposeful confusion that's taking place, um, to hear the, the sheikh you know, and, have, and have them discuss the point about why, why Jerusalem, why Al-Aqsa Mosque, why this is something that Muslims should be absolutely unequivocal about and should make their personal mission um, was extremely powerful. And um, I think that that you know, was an incredible discussion all around. Um, and then the, the following day, then we had we were just incredibly schooled at the Friday khutbah. And I honestly think that this was one of the best, I mean, I, I thought that the khutbah the week before was incredible that called out racism and the unspeakable truth about what's happening um, you know, behind um, the racism behind the Israeli, you know, Palestine, um, you know, the, the Israel massacre on Palestine, let's be clear about our language. Um, but yesterday's khutbah was, just took it to another level where you really understand the very intentional attempt to undermine our faith, our belief, our understanding, you know, even the, the, our, our belief that Al-Aqsa Mosque is, is what it is, what, you know, what we say it is. It's just, I mean, he really went point by point and took us through and as I was watching I thought every single Muslim needs to watch this um, there were just like lectures within lectures and it was extremely powerful so if you do nothing else watch that khutbah and share it with friends we're gonna spend some time cutting it up into bite-sized chunks so people you know don't have to people who can't handle watching a khutbah that is longer than 20 minutes um, can digest it but it was rich and, and deep and there was so much to it that needed to be unpacked and I think it's really, um, really an important um, initiative for us to make sure that all of our friends watch it and understand what's in it. Um, and, and on that point, I mean, in general, like I, we've been talking about just the level of quality of the khutbahs that take place here, the things that we talk about, you know, how we address issues before they even are on the radar screen of the vast majority of people, things that, you know, obviously are not being talked about in other Muslim spaces. And I mean, I again, I'm just going to say I feel like we could start a revolution um, if we just could get Muslims to watch this Friday khutbah. It's investing less than an hour a week. If you do nothing else to invest in your own education and your own understanding 
of Islam, this is how you do it. You don't have to do anything except show up and turn it on YouTube. Um, but, you know, we've been talking here um, about just how these khutbahs and these discussions and hearing the truth have really sparked a passion and, and a conviction that people have not felt in other spaces. And so I, I, I just want to share that with people. You know, I think when we're all here and we're talking about it and we get excited, we want nothing more than to have more people experience it. So, you know, please, um, you know, share it with your friends, your family, anyone who is, believes that khutbahs can't actually stir everything inside of you, that I think you'll find that, that you get that here. And, um, and lastly, I just wanted to say I've been receiving a lot of really beautiful messages um, from people who have been, you know, excited about what, what we do, who want to support us, um, even people who have asked if they could join us for Project Illumin. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to say, I know, like a lot of people have said, I wish I could be there in person with you. You know, I, I feel in my heart, I just discovered you. You know, this is something that has transformed my life and, you know, I, I feel in my heart I want to be with you. I'm really sorry we honestly cannot, you know, um, accommodate more people um, joining us in person because um, we're partway into the project, but that is why we have made it a point to record and make available for free on the internet, you know, made these like interactive group, the YouTube, you know, all of this stuff so that, you know, if you can't be here in person, at least you can be part of our community virtually. Um, and, and, you know, and inshallah, you know, as one day if things get better with the pandemic, we would love to, you know, try and have more in-person events. Project Illumin, as you know, is a once-in-a-lifetime engagement. We are going through the Quran once, we are not going to do this again. Um, and, you know, if we are able to raise money to go on to our dream, which is then covering the Sira, and then even possibly getting into Makassid um, al-Sharia, the purposes of Sharia, that is our hope and, you know, our, our goal to try and raise money for that. Um, so I hope that you, you know, and maybe in those circumstances we would have the ability to, you know, invite um, student applications again. Um, but for the time being, you know, this this is it, and just stay with us, and you know, and just take your time in watching the khutbahs and the halakas because there's so much there, there's so much learning, and um, it's extremely valuable. And support us in any way that you can. So thank you so much, and I'm looking forward to another incredible session, um, Surah Lukman. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين سبحان الله العلي العظيم ونصلي وسلم وبارك على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وانتبه بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل نقطة من لساني يفقه قولي يا رب العالمين so إن شاء الله today we will deal with Surah Luqman. Um, so, first, Surah Luqman is mapped by the agreement of uh, all the all scholars, all authorities. There are some that said um, it's Mepkan except for two ayat uh, towards the end of the surah, although um, I don't put much weight on that, these reports. 
I think Surah Luqman is entirely Meccan from beginning to end. Um, and the the reasons cited for a couple of of, uh, of the ayat being uh, Medinian are not convincing. Most authorities say that it was reported, uh, it was revealed after Surah Al-Safat. Um, and we get a, a, a rather interesting um, puzzle. It's one of these surah that presents us with a little bit of a... a uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that's hard to figure out in many ways. In that, if it is revealed after a soft thought, as most authorities say, then that would make Luqman um, a late Meccan revelation. In fact, in all probability, it's so late that it's even after Isra. Um, however, there are various indicators that Luqman is a middle Meccan revelation rather than a late Meccan revelation. Um, it, in part, it has to do, do with occasions for revelation. Um, in, in part, it has to do with the message in Surah Luqman itself. Um, does it make, in, in substantively, does it make a big difference? I, I don't think so. Um, uh, although it's sometimes um, when you, when you try to figure out when a surah was precisely revealed, it's sometimes challenging, and you normally like to be able to pin it down. But a search of the evidence. For Surah Luqman, um, makes it very difficult to say with 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 absolute confidence that it's either whether it's late Meccan or middle Meccan. Um, uh, and. Um, Anyway, we'll we'll say more about this and about the the position of Surah Luqman itself. Now, Surah Luqman is most reports say that it was revealed well after Surah Maryam. Um, that in order of revelation, it would be among in in the high 50s, so that it's maybe 
uh, number 57 or 56 or 58 in order of revelation. There are many reports that say that it was the surah revealed right before Surah Saba. Uh, but if so, that again would make it late Meccan surah. And as we will we'll talk about the message of Surah Luqman, um, you know, you can think about whether that message it coming after the Isra or before the Isra makes uh, a lot of a difference or not. Okay. Now, Surah Luqman, the, the, the one thing that also immediately would get your attention um, is that it is a surah named after this figure of Luqman who most authorities say was not a prophet. So a, a, a not, Luqman was not like Al-Khidr, although, you know, we get a lot of disagreements about whether Khidr um, uh, who the Quran tells us Moses accompanied him for a period of time learning from him whether Khid was in fact a prophet or not but we'll get to that inshallah but Luqman most agree was not a prophet there are some authorities that said Luqman was a prophet but that's not very likely that's not very likely true. Some authorities said that he was related to the prophet Yunus, Job, um, but that's also not, that's rather speculative. The, the evidence for that is, um, now what is interesting about Luqman is that as a figure, he seemed to have been known to Arabs before the Islamic revelation. So, and we, the, the reason we know that is that in Nabigha Zubiani, who are, are among the, the very famous poets of pre-Islam, uh, mentions Luqman in one of his poetry. And um, he is mentioned, at least in Nabigha Zubiani's poem, as a um, a man that represented wisdom and dignity. Who was Luqman precisely? It's very difficult to say. Um, there are numerous reports that say that he was either Sudanese or Egyptian. Um, Beyond that, you get a lot of, you know, everything from what he did for for a living, um, when precisely did he live, um, uh, uh, but there is a figure in the collective memory of Arabs who seem to have been highly revered, 
highly respected um, for his wisdom and for his moral character. Um, and like a lot of these figures in pre-Islamic literature, uh, we would have tended to say, well, he's perhaps a mythological figure if it hadn't been for the fact that the Qur'an mentions him, and by mentioning him, confirming his existence as an actual human being. But as Surah Luqman makes clear, or it, it, the, the, the Qur'an says that we gave Luqman wisdom, hikmah, not in Nubuwa, it doesn't say anything about a prophecy. So, so does that make a difference that he is in, in, in a human being who's not a prophet? As we'll see, I think it does. I think it does make a difference. And so he is a standout figure uh, because all the sore that are named after a person are named after prophets. The only two possible exceptions are Luqman and Maryam. And we've talked about Maryam. And of course, Maryam has a very special status. And then the other figure is Luqman. We will note another thing. I'll, I'll approach this surah a little bit differently than I approach a lot of surah. Um, we notice that in this surah that there is, it's a fairly short surah, it's just 34 ayat or 35 depending on, on um, but the, it mentions, in the, the surah Luqman mentions the word hikmah. Um, several times in a fairly short surah. And hikmah is mentioned in Surah Luqman, which means wisdom, in reference to God's book, Kitabun Hakim, that this is a book of wisdom. It is mentioned in reference to God, Al-Aziz Al-Hakim, that Allah, God's self, is Hakim. And then it is mentioned in reference to Luqman. وَأَتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحِكْمَةِ That we gave Luqman wisdom. So you have the Book of Wisdom, the God of Wisdom, and Luqman, a man of wisdom. And other than wisdom, we also have in Surah Luqman an emphasis on the concept of Ihsan. So, which is, we'll talk about what Ihsan is, but for, for now, let's say Ihsan as the basic concept of goodness. Um, 
And there is a dynamic that is going on between hikmah, wisdom, and ihsan, and concept of goodness in Surah Luqman that is uh, fascinating. So keep that in mind. Keep these two concepts in mind as we delve into the surah. Um, the other thing I, I should mention at the beginning also is that in Arabic mythology, you, you get a lot of, as I said, sort of contradictory narratives about who Luqman was, what Luqman did, and um, what's Luqman's legacy. And a lot of the reports um, a lot of the the the, the uh, mythology that surrounds Luqman often um, portrays him as someone of um, sort of wit and sharp intelligence but whether they have anything to do with the actual figure or not we, we don't know and there's really no way to know uh, because a lot of these reports I mean a lot of the stories that are told about Luqman in Arabic mythology the identical report uh, is told about a different person so the, the, the same acts are attributed to a different person and the only difference is the you know the 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 name of the figure so what's interesting and it can't escape our notice is that when the Quran talks about Luqman and talks about what Luqman did it chooses something that none of the surviving Arab, Arab mythology, pre-Islamic mythology, emphasized. So you have a body of literature, pre-Islamic mythology, and it talks about Luqman, and it talks about Luqman you know, as doing X, Y, Z, but the Quran comes in and it doesn't, doesn't pick any of that. And it mentions something about him that none of the mythology at all mentions. And that's his role in raising his child. And this is something that gave me long pause. Not Luqman as a sheep herder, as in some reports, or as a merchant in some reports, or as a judge in some reports, because some reports has him as a judge. Some reports even say that he was a warrior. Um, not likely, but anyway. Um, but Luqman as a father. And that, when you dig in the tradition long enough, 
and hard enough, you find that this didn't escape the Arabs who was receiving the revelation. Um, they didn't look man, they didn't know Luqman as um, as a, a um, um, as a parental figure, if you will. There are there we can't even there, there are so many conflicting reports as to who his son was that we don't even we can't even get the name of his son right. But as we will see, this actually turns out to be very important for Surat Luqman and what Surat Luqman is about. Um, and for our understanding of the role of wisdom and the concept of hikmah itself. So the surah, oh, where is my study? So the surah starts out with Alif Lam Mim, and we've talked about Alif Lam Mim before among the um, if I remember correctly the 29th surah in the Quran that start with Alif Lam Mim but we so I won't pause so here is the the first mention of the word uh, derivation of, uh, of the word hikmah tilka ayatul kitab al-hakim these are the verses of the book of wisdom okay huda wa rahmatan lil muhsinin so immediately in the first two verses we have al hikma and al ihsan Hudan wa rahmatan the muhsinin guidance and mercy to those people of ihsan alladhina yuqimuna as-salata wa yu'tuna az-zakata wa hum bil akhirati hum yuqinun those who uphold their prayers those people who insisted that um, uh, Luqman is a later revelation said in part because of the mention of the word zakah and they said zakah was a later um, it was later it, it was um, a later order in the Quran however that's not entirely true because zakah is used in the early Quran in the entire Meccan period in fact not as zakat al-amwal that is two and a half percent of what what you you save for a year etc etc but it is it is used in the Quran as effectively the equivalent of sadaqah the, the the entire Meccan period, the word zakah 
And in fact, I mean, I, I think that it is unfortunate that zakah later on in the minds of Muslims become confined to that sum that they pay annually. Because zakah is far more central to Islamic theology than that. So those who do their prayers, give of their money, and they are certain of the hereafter. Is this a definition of ihsan? Not quite. It is part of the attributes of those who are characterized by ihsan, al-muhsinin. So, you could say they are components of what would be required of someone that can be said to have ihsan, but they don't necessarily describe the entire phenomena of ihsan. Okay. Okay. Those are the ones who are guided and those are the ones who are successful, who are aided by God. So this is the opening salvo of Surah Luqman. These first five ayat and then وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْتَرِي لَهُوَ الْحَدِيثِ لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَيَتَّخِذَهَا هُزْوَةً وَأُولَئِكَ هُمْ أُولَئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ وَإِذَا تُتْلَى عَلَيْهِ آيَاتُنَا وَلَّى مُسْتَكْبِرًا كَأَنْ لَمْ يَسْمَعْهَا كأن, كَأَنَّ فِي أُذُنَيْهِ وَقْرًا فَبَشِّرْهُ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ so, From that, Surah Luqman immediately talks about a type of people and refers to those who focus on Lahu al-Hadith. And, and the question is, what is Lahu al-Hadith? In um, the study Quran says, idle discourse, to lead astray from the way of God without knowledge and who take it in mockery. For them, there shall be humiliating punishment. And when our signs are recited unto them, they turn away arrogantly as if they did not hear them. Uh, as if there were deafness in their ears, so give them glad tidings of a pain, painful punishment. Of course, glad tidings of a painful punishment is is m mocking them. The, the, it's a way of, of mocking the what they have to wait for. Before... Um, Before we we get to 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 this part, though, I I, uh, I should say something more about a little bit more about Ihsan at this point. 
um, there is a very famous hadith in which um, reportedly a man comes to the Prophet والسلام, and the, the man asks the, the Prophet, tell me what Ihsan is. And um, the, um, the Prophet والسلام, says, Ihsan is that you worship God as if you see God. And if you don't see God, then you know that God sees you. And to love for people what you love for yourself, to want for people what you want for yourself. And then this man says, you're correct. And of course the companions are surprised by the response of this man. And the prophet says, well, this was Gabriel who came to teach you your religion. Um, and it is, it's very commonly cited and it's, it's among the building components, uh, if, you, if you will, in understanding Ihsan, the understanding the con that concept itself that you have a relationship with God where you treat God as if you see God and you are fully aware all the time that God sees you and that you want for people what you would want for yourself and that's both of them are very challenging because you know we, we often hear that but to actually implement it, to turn it into real life, um, uh, human beings are 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 remarkably uh, adept at convincing themselves that they treat others as they would like to be treated, while in reality they don't. But there is another thing that, about Hassan that. when we we know from various discourses in the Quran and um, Sunnah of the Prophet that there is Rahmah is also a part of Ihsan that mercy, compassion is also an important building block of Ihsan um, so, Rahmatullah Qaribun Min Al-Muhsineen, that Allah's mercy is always close to those who are possessed of Ihsan. And so, much, so often in the Quran we find that Rahma and Ihsan are coupled together. So, for, for instance, I mean, Huda wa Rahma lil Muhsineen, which is verse number uh, three in, in Surah Luqman itself. Okay, so this concept of lahu al-hadith, there is an um, um, and and um, 
a narrative about a mother uh, Ibn al-Haris or in, his name has been reported as Ibn al-Haris or Ibn al-Harth either that a mother who was an opponent of the Prophet ﷺ, very much an, an enemy of the Islamic uh, revelation. And a mother was um, a strange fellow. He, uh, the, the reports are is that a mother believed the, or expected that he would be a prophet. Um, and when his aspirations of being a prophet didn't materialize, it didn't work out for a variety of reasons. There's also reports that at one time he wanted to be appointed the king of the Arabs, but that didn't work out either um, because Mecca would accept no king and um, no one really had the authority to appoint him as a king and he he reportedly went to the the, the Persians and, and and said, "Give me, delegate me as the king over Mecca," and they did. But you know, you know, everyone just ignored it. But anyway, what uh, what Nodar does is that he goes around when collecting the mythology or the the. Um, uh, 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 the mythologies, the uh, superstitions of um, ancient people, uh, uh, especially Persian stories of, about Rustum and Isfandiyar and um, Khosro and things like that. And he would go back to Mecca and he would tell them, you know, Muhammad tells you these stories in the Quran about Ad and Thamud and and Qawm uh, of Fir'aun and so on and so forth. I have more entertaining stories than Muhammad. Let me tell you about Rustum and Sfandiyar and Khusro and and there are even some reports that he uh, bought singing slave girls and would go to young men who he thought were being attracted by the Islamic message and he would say, I'll let you have sex with my slave girl if you would forget about Islam. You know, so a rather colorful, colorful figure. And so his main thing was to say, my, my, my superstitious narr my narratives of these ancient superstitions beat the narratives of Muhammad and um, stop listening to Muhammad and come I can entertain you better so there are various reports that say that this verse was revealed in response to Umnudar that, and so, Lawul Hadith meaning that there are people who attempt to distract 
human beings from God's revelation, from foc focusing on God's book, by bringing in stories of old mythology and superstition and singing slave girls um, in order to dis distract people. What Unudar did, and, and if this is true, and this is, if it is true that, that the, this revelation was a response to Unudar, then this would make, make Surat Luqman a mid-Meccan revelation. Because what Unudar did was around the mid-Meccan period, not the late Meccan period. Um, now, it is in all likelihood, Imodar did what it is reported that he did. And in all likelihood, that he was guilty of, of everything that was reported about him. But I don't think that this ayah was revealed to address what another did. It applies, and I think that later scholars of the Quran said this seems to apply. So they sort of matched it. But there is many different reasons to believe that the revelation, this Quranic revelation, applies far more broadly than to the narratives of Rustum and Isfandiyar and, and the, the whole episode was another Ibn al-Harth or Ibn al-Harith, depending on the report. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْتَرِي لَهُوَ الْحَدِيثِ لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَيَتَّخِذَا هُزْوَ أُولَئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ There are people who يَشْتَرِي could be purchase, could be goes and spends money to purchase, and يَشْتَرِي could be focus and, and derive and uh, um, emphasize Lawul Hadith. Now, Lawul Hadith, notice here, Liyudilla an Sabilillah, to lead people astray. Well, there are a lot of things that you can do to engage in a discourse to lead people astray. It could be of the variety of what Nodar did, but it could also be even using the Quran itself to lead people astray. So we, we have a report that um, the um, later on, the hypocrites of Mecca had would um, 
in prayer, love to focus on, uh, uh, the hypocrites of Mecca love to focus on Surah Abasa wa Tawalla. Because it seemed to criticize the Prophet. And so they would constantly recite Abasa wa Tawalla in their prayers to the point that there is a there is a narrative that Umar ibn Khattab gets so fed up with it that he um, uh, wants to go beat up anyone that's reciting Abasa wa Tawalla in prayer among the, the hypocrites and of course he's told he can't. Um, and then, uh, I mean, so and there, there are a lot, even after the death of the Prophet Abbas Tawalla has this sort of, so, um, but, يَشْتَرِي لَهُوَ الْحَدِيثُ لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ Any time a human being is not focused on as we and as we will see the on hikmah and ihsan and as we will see ilm anytime that a human being is not focused on wisdom and goodness and ilm knowledge as venues to the divine and uses their are, are premised or anchored in their ignorance so they are not anchored in in actual knowledge but because of their ignorance they are leading people astray this verse applies now i've got to tell you something about this verse that's rather interesting all the uh, schools of thought in Islamic history that prohibited music rely on this verse. And for many, many years, when you talk to the Wahhabis and they say music is haram in Islam, and you tell them why is music is haram, they always point you to this verse, Lahwa al-Hadith. And of course, it says Lahwa al-Hadith, it doesn't say music. But they would say, there is a hadith uh, um, that says that our hadith is uh, effectively singing or music. But it's not an authentic hadith, but, uh, and, they, and even the Wahhabis know it's not an authentic hadith, because even Albani said it's not authentic, but nevertheless. Now, but notice here, the whole debate about music goes back to to lead people astray. If you are performing music with the purpose, you intend to lead people astray, then this applies to you. If you listen to music, and instead of this music bringing you closer to God, it makes you drift away from God, then this verse applies to you. So, and, and this is not my position, this is a position that the 
so many scholars said before, including Ghazali, for instance, who, who wrote on this, um, and so many of the Sufi scholars have, have had the same position, that, well, it, it depends on the music. If some music brings you closer to God, and some music makes you drift away from God. Um, and I do believe that music is a very, very powerful, powerful agent. Music has the power to do miracles. It, it can truly tenderize your heart and make you a better human being and make you more open to the divine. And it can also do the, exactly the opposite. It, it can take you into... So, I mean, in my view, to, to go from prohibiting music to Nicki uh, Minaj, I mean, I, I find it very difficult to imagine that Nicki Minaj's music is going to get you closer to God. Um, I mean, I, I, I admit that I'm, I'm not, very, well, uh, not very learned about Nicki Minaj's um, corpus of musical compositions, um, but nevertheless, what little I've heard, I, I, I have, doesn't make me very convinced that I want to learn more. Um, but now al hadith is, is broader than music. So it's even if you use philosophy, if you lose philosophical discourse to confuse people and to convince them that how do you know that there is God and how do you know that there is a purpose for your life and how do you know that there is a truth? It, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. If, you know, if, if you if, engage in speech that is superficial. And in fact, I mean, listen, even talking about politics, and this is my, my if you listen to the khutbah that Grace was talking about yesterday, uh, this is my problem with the whole thing of saying political Islam is bad, is that if you, if you talk about politics, and your purpose is to serve God, then this doesn't apply to you. But if you talk about politics and your purpose is not to serve God, then you could very well fall under this. So the idea that somehow you can... It, and this is a, a one of these moral imperatives that is truly uh, demands our notice. Okay. And then there is a very interesting theological slash juristic discourse on whether when Verse 7 it says, وَإِذَا تُطْلَعَ عَلَيْهِ آيَاتُنَا وَلَّا مُسْتَكْبِرًا كَأَنْ لَمْ يَسْمَعْهَا كَأَنَّ فِي أُذْنَيْهِ وَقْرًا فَبَشِّرْهُ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ Now 7 says that 
And if these people listen to our verses, they, they, they walk away as if they haven't heard them, didn't hear anything. And they walk away arrogantly, and as if they, they, their ears are plugged. So there's a, a, a juristic theological discussion as to is it enough that you that the discourse would distract from Allah or do you don't deserve the severe reprimand unless your discourse distracts from Allah and you are also oblivious and refuse to listen to what Allah has to say. Um, I believe that this description is not necessarily tied to that Lahul Hadith is sufficient to condemn a person. Um, this description is an added offense, in my view. In my view, anyway. Okay. So, we understand the, the reports about the, the, the possible occasions for revelation. We understand that it, it is it is alerting you to a phenomena of the way people talk and the way that talking can distract from this revelation. And what is this revelation? It is a revelation of hikmah, of wisdom, so it will distract from wisdom. And it is a revelation for al-Muhsineen, for those who are embrace Ihsan, those who do goodness. As we will see, this is going to be important for the entire thing. Okay. All right, so, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمَلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتُ Those who believe and do good, they have, they'll be rewarded with heaven. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَعَلَى اللَّهِ حَقَّ وَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ This is God's promise. And again, we see the word hikmah repeated. Allah al-Aziz, the omnipotent. Um, Yeah, omnipotent, the mighty. Um, Al-Hakim, again, the, the, the most wise, the most invoking the idea of wisdom again. Okay. خَلْقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ بِغَيْرِ عَمْدٍ تَرَوْنَاهَا وَأَلْقَى فِيهَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَأَلْقَى فِي الْأَرْضِ رَوَاسِي أَنْ تَمِيدَ بِكُمْ وَبَثَّ فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ دَابَّةٍ وَأَنْزَلْنَا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَاءً فَأَنْبَتْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ كُلِّ زَوْجٍ كَرِيمٍ And we've encountered this in Surah Al-Ra'd and it will be a repeated theme in the Quran, verse 10, that if you reflect... Um, if you reflect upon creation, you will see 
the the signs of God everywhere. Um, it is it's often difficult to to explain to the modern mind how unusual the idea of noticing or the idea that you that the text talks about the heavens as a as a, a ceiling the, the pre-modern mind didn't think that there was anything such an ozone layer or an artificial heaven or, or you know, an artificial uh, atmosphere that surrounds Earth. It was just the way it is. I mean, in the, in the, in the pre-modern mind or the ancient mind, they believe that wherever you go, there's just going to be air that you breathe. Um, the fact that the Quran consistently kept saying that this is not some small thing. This is actually miraculous that you're enveloped by a, a special heaven that allows you to live and that it's, it exists without pillars which we, you know, now we understand that gravity was, you know, holds it and so on, is quite remarkable. I mean, um, and even the idea that, um, that in order for the crust of the earth to be stable, uh, it needed to be anchored with mountains, is, was also quite incredible. Because it was, and it's, it's very funny when you read in medieval texts, where they they debate um, whether well you know is it real that you know the 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 the, the crust of the earth would need to have needed mountains is it, you know are mountains just decoration and God is just saying this to sort of impress us um, because also in the medieval mind they believed that there were only seven major mountains around the world. And they would name the seven mountains. Um, so I mean, these things about the Quran that are fascinating. Um, okay. And verse eleven. This is Allah's creation. هذا خلق الله فأروني ماذا خلق الذين من دونه um, this is God's creation, and again, inviting you or calling upon you to reflect about the created Quran, the Quran of that that surrounds us all the time. Then it introduces the figure of Lakuman. And it tells you, وَلَقَدْ أَتَيْنَا لُقْمَانَ الْحِكْمَةِ أَنَشْكُرْ لِلَّهِ وَمَنْ يَشْكُرْ فَإِنَّمَا يَشْكُرْ لِنَفْسِهِ وَمَنْ كَفْرَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ So, it tells you we've, brought, we've given Luqman wisdom. This is uh, 12, right? Luqman wisdom. Yeah. 
we, we've given Luqman wisdom. So, the Luqman, the, the wisdom that Luqman has been given is that Luqman understands the value of gratitude to God and understands that that moral value of gratitude vis-a-vis God is not for God's benefit, but like all moral values, it elevates the holder of the moral value itself. This, if Luqman was not a prophet, so it gave rise to a discussion in the Islamic tradition. So, and this this discussion, by the way, becomes very material in inspiring the the centuries later the the um, uh, the narrative of Haiban Yaqzan, the the narrative of uh, which Robinson Crusoe is based on the 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 man who travels to a, 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 an island and in the island he starts thinking about morality as an individual. So in other words, the the whole thing about the relationship between virtue and revelation. And so Luqman is is not a prophet, so he's not receiving revelation. Does he know by by the virtue of correct logic that gratitude is immoral virtue in itself, and that gratitude must begin with acknowledging your gratitude towards your maker, that unless you start with the with that genesis, that, that starting point of gratitude towards the maker who's constantly supplying you with everything that you have, your health, your body, your mind, your you know uh, and as we as Surah Luqman will tell us at the end that in fact God's gifts, God's wisdom is so numerous that it is literally unthinkable. It's hard to grasp. But so if you are existing surrounded by constant gifts if you don't start with the premise of gratitude towards these gifts, can you be a virtuous human being otherwise? So, if I am, if I am not, you know, if, if as a human being, let's say, I, I'm a, a child who is extremely ungrateful to my very giving mother who's given me everything. But I am very nice to my friends. Can I be described 
as a person of ihsan, a person of goodness? Am I a good person? This, of course, be becomes very important in, in the whole trajectory of Islamic philosophy that, well, you know, can we ignore gratitude and can we ignore our relationship with God and take morality from that point on? So let's get, leave God out of it and be virtuous otherwise. And, of course, entire Islamic theology and philosophy is built on the argument that you can't. Some Muslim authorities were so troubled by the idea that Luqman would reason independently, without revelation, to reach the conclusion that all virtue must begin with gratitude. That the, uh, there is a, a, a narrative that is definitely um, um, apocryphal, it's definitely circulated, invented. That Luqman was offered, that Gabriel came to Luqman and said, God is giving you a choice. You can be a wise person or you can be a prophet. And that Luqman chose to be a wise person because he didn't want to deal with the challenge of being a prophet. The, the, the reason you have that narrative is that it was circulated as a response to the anxiety, especially over what people like later on Qadi Abdul Jabbar, for instance, would do with the Luqman narrative. So it was it was circulated in part in response to the the the, the type of uh, debates and discourses that some of Ahlul Hadith was seeing going on around um, this whole thing of Atayna Luqman al-Hikmah and you know, we can, because they very much wanted to argue that the path to God entirely depends on revelation and that you wouldn't find God without revelation, which, you know, is, is, a, is a misguided, I understand their intentions, but it's rather, you know, misguided anyway. Uh, but they feared that if you can say that you can reach God without revelation, that that would make revelation marginal in importance. And so that's why they, you know, that created a lot of anxiety among them. Anyway, all right. So then, so Luqman is, is, is flagged as this person who is anchored in understanding the beginning of virtue. And the beginning of virtue is gratitude. And, and, and a human being who's ungrateful cannot be a moral human being. A human being who does not understand gratitude 
but not not gratitude in the sense of oh yeah you know I'm I'm grateful no actually understanding what gratitude is because if you if I am giving you a gift every day right and you say thank you on the first day and then I give you a gift on the second and third and fourth and fifth day and then I say why aren't you saying thank you and you say well I told you thank you the first day that doesn't mean you're grateful so how often are you receiving gifts from Allah and how often do you need to say thank you so how often do you need to feel gratitude so a lot of people believe they're being grateful, but they're actually not being grateful. But as we will see, in the nature of gratitude also translates to how you understand your relationship to Ihsan, to all goodness. How you understand gratitude to your parents, to your loved ones, to your teacher, to all relationships where gratitude is old. Oh, okay. And then right away, the Quran doesn't take any of the narratives about Luqman, but right away focuses on Luqman as a teacher. And a teacher to his son. His role as an educator. And this is very significant for Surat Luqman, and it's very significant for Arabs at the time who are there. We're going to pause for uh, those who haven't prayed us. Um, I've prayed, but Chief says some of some people here haven't prayed. So we're going to take a break for us and uh, five minutes, inshallah, we'll come back. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, Interestingly, um, in um, among the hadith that you you often encountered in in, um, in the context of Surah Luqman um, is the hadith لا تبيع القينات ولا تشتروهن ولا ولا خير في تجارة فيهن وثمنهن حرام which um, this relates to the whole issue of slavery because it in this hadith attributed to the prophet uh, the prophet prohibits buying or selling Qayyinat uh, were entertainment girls, um, and and says that some in the haram that the money that 
whether it's spending money or receiving money is haram uh, for that purpose. Again, you know, the, the, the issue that, that receives such um, miserable treatment among modern Muslims, the issue of Islam and slavery, because um, at least what, I, what I've seen published in, in recent years in English about this topic is just very disappointing. Um, there's, so, there's so much in the Islamic tradition that is clearly hostile to the whole institution of slavery, but uh, for whatever reason, these Muslims who've written these books ignore that tradition. Okay, so وَإِذْ قَالَ لُقْمَانَ لِابْنِهِ وَهُوَ يَعِذُهُ يَا بُنَيَّ لَا تُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ إِنَّ الشِّرْكَ لَظُلْمُ الْعَظِيمُ So, first, just think about the role that Luqman, the Qur'an talks about Luqman occupying. Luqman as an educator. And this is a, um, an important point, is that Luqman is given wisdom. And what he does with this wisdom, at least according to the Quran, it doesn't pay attention to any of the narratives about his heroic deeds or whatever. No, it's his role as an educator that is given emphasis. And or as a parent, which is noteworthy, because if, again, the, the, the surahs that are revealed in the Meccan period, these formative surahs, so much of Surah Luqman has to do with parenting, with being a parent. And being a parent endowed with wisdom using that wisdom to parent is what earns Luqman the status of being the only, possibly the only non-profit, if Maryam is not a prophet, uh, then the, the only male non-profit that is mentioned in the Quran. And that's no small thing that parenting itself is an institution. And as we see in, in the, the what so much of what Luqman imparts to his son so Luqman first says, don't associate partners with God because associating partners with God, shirk, it's a great injustice. It's an, in, an injustice of lack of gratitude and an injustice of lack of intelligence. Because an entire creation testifies to the oneness of God, that there is a single maker. And 
insisting that there is an omnipotent power other than that one God is nothing but whim. You're, you're, you're insisting about something that derives from nothing but fantasy. Okay. And from that lesson about gratitude, immediately, so gratitude starts with your very first relationship, and that's a relationship with your maker. Then gratitude, the, it's immediately the second relationship. So this is 14. What? And so gratitude towards Allah, gratitude towards your parents, and notice the role of the father and the role of the teacher in 14 is intentionally made ambiguous. Because it says, it's as if Allah is talking, but it's Sulaiman, I mean, but it's Luqman who is teaching his son. Which, and we'll, we'll, try, we'll try this whole theme of gratitude in a bit. Okay. So then, وَإِنْ جَهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ تُشْرِكَ بِمَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٌ فَلَا تُطَعْهُمَا وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفَةً وَاتَّبِعَ سَبِيلَ مَنْ أَنَابَ إِلَيَّ ثُمَّ إِلَيَّ مَرْجَعْكُمْ فَأُنْبِئْكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ So, gratitude towards the parents doesn't mean obedience, obeying your parents, if it is shirk, if it is associating partners with God, if it is, and, and, and as so many theologians and commentators said, that it goes beyond, but if it is anything that involves disobeying God. So gratitude is differentiated from blind obedience. Being able to be grateful, to acknowledge what venues of gratitude or lines of gratitude. But at the same time, blind obedience, as we will see in Surah Luqman, is, is not the point. And it's in fact, an immoral act. So if they command you to associate partners, don't obey, but be kind to them. Sahibhuma fi dunya ma'rufa mean be gracious, be kind. Wattabi'a sabila man anaba ilayt and follow the, the, the path of those who return to their Lord. Because ultimately, you will all return to me, and I will resolve disputes between them. Of course, 
there is a narrative that is often r related in um, um, in the context of this verse. Um, and it has to do with Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas, who, when he converted to Islam, his mother swore that she would not eat or drink until he left the faith. And he refused to do so, and uh, she continued to fast for, in most reports say three days, some reports say until she fainted. Um, but and often it is said that this was the occasion for revelation. Whether it's an occasion for revelation or simply a, a situation that applies, Allah Adam. But in so much of the theological discourse, it is... From that, the extrapolation that gratitude does not mean obedience in what is wrong, in what you believe to be wrong, including the situation that a lot of shiuch dealt with and a lot of fatawa was Amr um, al-Walidayn and la yati al-fata shaykhu is the, the, the label in, in a lot of the fatawa literature that parents would order their child not to study with a certain scholar. And the issue was whether parents had that right to order a child not to study with a scholar. And the vast majority, majority of muftis said that they don't. That in any fard ayin, in any individual obligation, seeking knowledge is an individual obligation and therefore if you have an obligation to seek knowledge you must seek knowledge with who you believe is going to educate you now of course it's it's different if it's you know someone who's going to teach you dancing or something like that you know that most of these scholars were talking about um, But that same logic can be extended to any matter, in my opinion, to any matter that involves ethics and virtue. The relationship of gratitude, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about taqlid in a second, the relationship of gratitude does not ever mean that you no longer think about what is ethical and what is right. The obligation to live a virtuous life, to be among the muhsineen, remains and supersedes any relationship in which you believe there is a necessity for obedience.
So that's the first instruction to the to the son. Ya Bunaya inna in takum iskala habbatin min khardalin fatakun fi sakhratin aw fi samawat aw fi al-ard ya'ti biha Allah inna Allah latifun khabir If it be the weight of a mustard seed, be it in a rock in the heavens or in the earth, God will bring it forth. Truly, God, Latif is benevolent. Khabir is knowledgeable. Khabir is an expertise in knowledge. To know everything is Khabir. Okay. So the awareness of God's omnipotence and God's power and God's that everything that transpires in our world is in God's full knowledge is the second moral lesson. Ya Bunaya, aqm al-salah. وأمر بالمعروف وانهى عن المنكر واصبر على ما أصابك إن ذلك من عزم الأمور prayer وأمر بالمعروف وانهى عن المنكر live a life in which you actively seek to establish goodness. That's what Marmabaruf. One hand in Munkar, live a life in which you actively seek to resist evil. Wasbir ala ma asabak and persevere and endure. Inna thalika min azm al umur. Now, min azm al umur means. What? Oh, let me first see how they translated it. Seventeen. Um, yeah, resolve. They said indeed a course worthy of resolve. Uh, that that course where you are going to hold on to prayer. But you are going to seek a life where you pursue goodness, to establish goodness, and actively resists, resist what is wrong, will inevitably lead to hardship. And the only response to that hardship is sabr, meaning perseverance not abandonment of the course of conduct of establishing good and resisting evil. And Anzman Umur means the things that you hold steadfast to as you confront all types of hardships. So you need a powerful resolve to adhere to it. The grammatician Al-Mubarrad said that 
عزم and حزم الأمور ده حزم is the type of resolve that you that you acquire in your intentionality and عزم is the resolve in application so and in المبرد it says that عزم and حزم can be used interchangeably with that differentiation that it is not just so عزم is a step beyond حزم in I think that it is not just that you have a strong resolve within but that resolve become an earmark of the way that you apply yourself in life now prayer as as an expression of gratitude and as a form of remembrance so gratitude needs remembrance so you cannot say I am grateful to my parents if you don't remember your parents and you can't say I am grateful to my teacher if you don't remember your teacher and you can't say I am grateful to anything if you don't remember what you've been given so beyond remembrance is what you have the way you express that gratitude but remembrance is a necessary element for the gratitude but beyond that notice that Luqman who is not a prophet is according to in Surah Luqman is supposed to become aware that virtue Ihsan is not possible unless you live an active life where you fight for goodness and you fight against evil. And that persevering in that path. This is, by the way, um, one of the most remarkable, if you read uh, the, the uh, Summa by Thomas Aquinas and Thomas Aquinas says you know the the very first obligation of natural law is to do good and to resist evil written centuries later it's right here you know Thomas Aquinas read the Quran we know that um, All natural law, by the way, is derived from that very first primary duty to, to do good and to resist what is not good. And then everything else is derived from that. Okay. Then, وَلَا تُصَاعِرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ وَلَا تَمْشِي فِي الْأَرْضِ مَرَحَا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ كُلَّ مُخْتَلٍ فَخُورٍ تُصَاعِرْ خَدَّكَ لِلنَّاسِ This is 18. Turn not your cheek at men, men in scorn, nor walk exaltedly upon the earth. Uh, 
um, is actually something that people do more often than they realize. When often when people they do it subconsciously quite often. When they want to subconsciously reject something that their psyche is not accepting, what they'll do is they'll turn their head like that and they'll give their side towards whatever it is. And people do this all the time. Um, a lot, of, most of the time, actually, subconsciously. So, when if you meet someone that you that you're not happy, it's the, the first thing you, you, you're really aching to do is to turn your your head to look elsewhere. And to is when you are met with those that for whatever reason you think you are higher than, you, you're more worthy than, you're whatever it is, and you find yourself, the inner inclination is to turn away and sort of give them the side of your face. That's the sarkhadakadunas. It doesn't need to be in scorn. So, that is why in Sufi-esque tafasir, they, they talk a lot about that among the disciplines of a Sufi is to learn not to do that. To actually learn to look at what you find unpleasant to look at. And to learn from it whatever you need to learn from it. But that turning away is, and especially if it's turning away in arrogance, which is more subtle than people realize. Um, now, al-Mukhtar al-Fakhur, of course, is, is beyond, is Mukhtar al-Fakhur is someone who's just full of themselves. That's literally al-Mukhtar al-Fakhur, someone who's full of themselves. They, they think they are more important. They think they are special. They think they are chosen. They think they are... Uh, it, God's gift. They 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 think they that they and it doesn't necessarily correlate to the amount of wealth or the amount of knowledge or the or family position or a lot of times this type of narcissism is irrational. It is just is and it is a disease. And you, this type of vain glory, as it's often called, in, especially in, in um, uh, translations, um, is something that you fight in yourself like you fight an infection. Okay. Waqsat fi mashika. Waqsat fi mashika means... It, it doesn't mean walk slow or fast, as some have thought it does. It's not... Walk uh, Mashika means walk plainly. You, you don't... You know, if those who 
who travel like like a lot of the uh, leaders of the dictatorial countries. They travel in huge caravans. It's a show. They violate Waqsit fi Mashika. Every time you travel, making it making a show out of it, you're violating this this Quranic command. Now, what's the show depends on the circumstance. If you make it a point to wear clothes that's very expensive, so that everyone will look at you and see how expensive your clothes is, you're violating this Quranic command. If you're, you know, making a sh making sure that you travel with an entourage, Waqsutfi Mashika is something that also violated by a lot of shiuch, by the way. A lot of shiuch like to travel around with an entourage. Look at how important I am, you know. I have all my disciples. They're violating the Quranic command. Because no matter how much they try to feign a, a, a modesty um, and humility, their method of travel, their way of communicating who they are as they travel, is vainglory, again. So many Muslim leaders and Muslim teachers and Muslim whatever, if they learn the Qur'an, if they internalize the Qur'an, it would resolve so many of, of our immoralities. Um, you know, you read some, some strange stuff like, uh, don't walk too fast or too slow. Well, as you know, there, there are a lot of Aisha said that the Prophet used to walk fast. So, the, did he violate the Quranic command? Obviously not, because Waqsat Fimashka doesn't mean walk either fast or slow. That has nothing to do with it. Okay. Waqdud min sawtika inna ankar al aswati la sawtul hamir. Now, this is one of those very famous Quranic verses. Um, Lower your voice because the voice, one of the worst voices are voices of donkeys. And it is not referring, as some thought it does, to people who are um, raising their voice because they're joking around or, you know, that, that's not what the Quran is saying sounds like a, a donkey. Um, it is when you start yelling and screaming. Because when you yell and scream, your the noise you emit is irritating and disruptive and dissonant like the voice of a donkey. In the tradition, I mean, in some tefasir, you read that a donkey, uh, 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 what is uh, the, the, when the donkey makes a sound, is it called braying? Yeah. A donkey brays when a donkey sees a devil and stuff like that. You can ignore that stuff. It's not, it's not, there, none of it is reliable. That the only time a donkey prays is when he sees a demon and um, that, uh, all other animals, when they when they when they 
emit a sound, they're doing tasbih, but except for the poor donkey, when he emits a sound, he's not doing tasbih. Again, you know, the poor donkey. God didn't mean to say the donkey sees demons or that God, the donkey is not making tasbih or... Or God is saying that you, you sound like a freaking donkey when you yell. That's all. <laughs> um, okay. To this point, the Wasiyat Luqman Libnihi ends. So this is where the the Luqman's lesson to his son comes to an end. It is with that. So, remember Luqman is given hikmah, right? And wisdom. And that wisdom, and we believe all wisdom is a gift from God. And the wisdom is premised on ihsan, on the ability to manifest goodness. Without goodness, there is no wisdom. But what else does wisdom need that we find emphasized in Surah Luqman. Well, several times we find in Allah Latifun Khabir, in Allah Bima Ta'amaluna Khabir, in Allah Alimun Khabir, that theme of Al Khabir, knowledge, learning. And as we will see, Surah Al-Quran tells us about those who argue without knowledge. So, hikmah is premised on ihsan, in part, I mean, on ihsan and on knowledge. And that hikmah, that wisdom, that is necessary imparts a very basic moral lesson that Luqman is it's put in the mouth of Luqman as teaching his son virtue starts with gratitude gratitude in your relationship with your maker gratitude in relation in in your relationships with everything worthy of gratitude the ability to express that gratitude in thankfulness and in remembrance and then the moral lesson from this wisdom is that you are a person of humility and a person who does not imagine himself or herself above others or in a privileged position beyond others. 
a person who treats other human beings with this ihsan, that you don't, you're not giving them, you're, you're not be above them, you're not beyond them, you are kind to them, and a commitment to the objective of goodness and resistance of evil and wrongdoing in wherever you are and that you are going to persevere in this path and that you're simply not going to give up and then it surah luqman then shifts gear to speak to us after telling us about Luqman. So don't you see that Allah has given you everything in the heavens and on earth and has given you that blessings that you easily perceive and blessings that you don't easily perceive وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يُجَادِلُ فِي اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَلَا هُدَى وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُنِيرٍ And yet, there are people that dispute about God without knowledge, without guidance, and without وَلَا كُتَابٍ وَلَا كِتَابٍ مُنِيرٍ Without an enlightening book. Okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm skipping ahead of myself a little bit, so, let's get... Uh, so we're at 20, right? وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ اتَّبْعُوا مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ قَالُوا بَنَّا اتَّبْعُوا مَا وَجَدْنَا عَلَيْهِ آبَاءَنَا وَلَوْ كَانَ الشَّيْطَانُ يَرْعُوهُمْ إِلَى عَذَابِ السَّعِيرِ So there note here that that theme of when they are told to follow God's guidance they say no we follow what our parents are doing put read this in the context of Luqman's discourse about honoring parents so the excuse that I was following what my parents taught me or what my parents are doing is not going to work. Man yuslim wajahu ila Allah wa huwa muhsinun faqad istamsaka bil urwatil wusqa. So now again on that theme of Ihsan, whoever surrenders to God and in the state of Ihsan, doing good, they probably have the day translate this. Um, 22. Unfailing handheld. Is the the study Quran translated it as unfailing handhold? Um, 
it's a Quranic expression that is very powerful. Um, it is like holding on to holding on to a firm literally it would be read as a knot but what it means is you're holding on to the firm covenant of your lord that the path to holding on to the firm covenant of your lord is surrendering to Allah, but surrendering in ihsan. Okay, and then 23, that whoever turns away, the, the, we've encountered this several times with Allah is telling the Prophet, don't be dismayed by those who turn away. Um, Okay. All right. So, until we get to 27. So, if you ask them who created the earth, the, the, these are, of course, those who did believe in God but didn't believe in an afterlife. Um until we get to 27, which is a very famous uh, verse of Surah Luqman. وَلَوْ أَنَّمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ شَجَرَةٍ أَقْلَامٌ وَالْبَحْرُ يَمُدُّهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ سَبْعَةُ أَحْبَحُرٍ مَا نَفَدِتْ كَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ So, if all the trees were used to create pens, or alternatively, in some tafsir say that if all the trees were pens, and the oceans of the world were ink, that Kalimatullah, Allah's wisdom would not run out, or Allah's knowledge would not run out. In Allah Azizul Hakim, again, wisdom, Hakim. It is said that the Qurayshis. Taunted the Prophet saying, Ma akhtaru kalimatu Muhammad, that Muhammad speaks too much. And that then this was revealed um, in response. Although, again, I'm, I'm very skeptical of that occasion for revelation. I'm, it, it is obviously the, the Qurayshis would object to the Quran that, oh, you know, when is, when is he going to stop bringing this revelation to us? When is he going to stop talking? That's not surprising because there's another report that where it's a meta-tanfuzu kalimatu Muhammad. 
when when is he going to stop bringing this stuff to us? But it this revelation as a direct response to to these incidents is doubtful. Central theme that whatever wisdom you have, part of that wisdom is recognizing how infinite God's knowledge is. Yet what you know of in comparison is quite small. There is another report for those who said that this particular ayah um, was revealed, for those who said that this particular ayah was revealed in Medina, they often say that the following report that um, the Jews of Medina go to the Prophet and say your Quran always emphasizes that what we know is limited. That what you as human beings know is limited. Does this apply to Muslims or does this apply to Jews? And the Prophet responds and says, This applies to both of us, to all. Then, so they said, But didn't you say in the Quran, uh, that the Torah in the Torah is an exposition of everything. And the Prophet reportedly then responds, yes, but the Quran does say that. Yes, but uh, compared to God's knowledge, it's very little. And then that this Quranic verse about the the seas being an end to the Lord was revealed. Um, of course, you know that incident takes place in Medina, and I don't think that this was revealed in response to something in Medina. I think this reveal, this verse was revealed in Mecca, and that incident took place later on in Medina, but the verse applies to that. There is a, an interesting, um, or an interesting narrative I want to tell you about, though. There is, in, in Islamic theolo the, um, theological texts, mostly, um, a discussion about That interaction that reportedly took place with Jews, where Jews are saying, well, 
it is the Torah that leads to truth. And so they, they're, they're arguing with the, the Prophet that we don't need to look beyond the Torah for truth. So this is a, a quote from this discussion. It says, بَلْ جَمِيعُ الْكُتُبُ وَالصُّحُفُ الْمُنَزَّلَةِ عَلَى عُمُومِ الرُّسُلُ وَقَاطِبَةِ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ is كُلُّ مَا دَخَلَ فِي حِيطَةِ الْإِنزَالِ وَالْإِتْيَانِ وَحَضْرَتْ عِلْمِي سُبْحَانَهُ فِي نَفْسِي غَيْرُ مُثْنَى وَلَا نِسْبَ بَيْنَ الْمُثْنَى وَغَيْرُ الْمُثْنَى بَلْ عِلْمُ سُبْحَانَهُ بِالنِسْبَةِ إِلَى مَعْلُومُ وَمَقْدُورُ وَاحِدْ بِعْتِبَارْ شُؤُونُ وَتَطَوَّرَاتُ غَيْرُ مُثْنَى فَكَيْفْ بِبَعْمُومِ الْمَعْلُومَاتُ وَالْمَقْدُورَاتُ So what they're saying is that the, the argument where you are trying to say that a specific revealed book has all that needs to be learned is flawed. And that no revealed book has all that needs to be learned. But knowledge, God's knowledge, is far broader than any one book and must be pursued in all venues. I think that type of attitude is what led Muslims to lead a civilization. That realization that God's knowledge is beyond any one book or, or any one source or is anyway among the the interesting parts of tidbits of our tradition okay okay so god's wisdom is infinitely larger than we will ever realize, portrayed in this powerful image of constant supply of ink writing down God's wisdom. And then Allah takes us to that theme of the, the extent to which human psychology is inconsistent. That when we are in trouble, we will turn to God fervently. And then when our circumstances change, our understanding of our gratitude itself changes. There are some who are balanced, but many are not. is where I want to pause for a second. So this is 32. Um, translate, uh, uh, perfidious, ungrateful. 
uh, yeah, I guess that's good. But Khattar Kafur, Khattar is a person who um, is especially treasures that for God to describe human this this process as a, a form of khatr uh, it's not ghadr but khatr um, means that someone who constantly betrays time and time goes back and forth now what's among the perceptions that among the the, the elements that is significant here is Theologically, you often find a, a discussion on what is it that is at the heart of uh, this treasury, this 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 um, um, inability to stick to what you might at one point realize is owed gratitude. And among the most interesting theological discourses that you, you, you read here is that treachery is a form of lack of patience and perseverance. Is that most often people their their real realization of gratitude, they tired of it. They they just simply grow tired, and they don't because they have not disciplined themselves to live by principle. Their patience with morality wanes. So it is not necessarily that people intend to be immoral, but that their ability to persevere with moral principle is what weakens and wanes. And when that happens, is when they gravitate towards immorality again. Okay. Then Surah Luqman returns back again to the theme of the parent and the, the child. And again reminds us that remember with everything we've said about gratitude one will not avail the other in the hereafter.
among the most interesting theological discourses is so many Muslim fuqaha write وَاتِّبَاعُ that if you follow leaders, rulers, blindly, it is as despicable as following your parents blindly. For all those, especially the, the, the fashion that is going on these days, uh, among so many of, of the American Muslim rulers will tell you, obey the ruler, even if they tell you to do something wrong. It is remarkable that in our civilization, no, you don't even obey your parents if they tell you to do something wrong. And obeying rulers is even less so if they tell you something wrong, they're not owed obedience. You can't, it's not going to avail you anything if in the hereafter you say, well, I did this because CC told me to do it, or because Hafiz al-Assad told me to do it, or because Trump told me to do it. That's not an excuse in the same way that you can't say that my father is in it, or my, my parents told me to do it. Okay. Do not be deceived by life on earth. This is um, a 33. So let not the life of this world delude you, nor let the deluder delude you concerning God. The deluder delude you. The expression is, is fascinating. It's either, it can be read two ways. Or they notice the difference in vocalization? versus And it's either, it would mean, don't be deluded or don't be tricked by the deluder, here means the devil, or don't be tricked by delusion itself, which means by wishful thinking that God is going to forgive your faults and your excesses. So, well, God is going to forgive me because I was just doing what my parents told me. Well, God is going to just forgive me because I was doing what my my leader told me. That's gharur. Okay. 
إن الله عنده علم الساعة وينزل الغيث ويعلم ما في الأرحام وما تدري نفس ماذا تكسب غدا وما تدري نفس بأي أرض تموت إن الله عليم خبير So ultimately Allah knows this you know what Allah invokes as the, the, the time of the, 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 the final day uh Allah is the one that controls where where goodness falls and what will come through the process of birth of human beings and ultimately Allah you don't know you think you know you make plans for the future, but you don't even know ultimately where fate is going to take you and which land you're going to die in. And we are reminded again in the law Alimun Khabir. So what is the delivery of Surah Luqman? If you step back Surah Luqman underscores the role of hikmah, of wisdom. And it tells you that wisdom is anchored, the idea that wisdom is cunningness, cunningness, nisness, cunning, being cunning being cunning, or that it is maximizing your advantage, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is anchored on virtue, and it's anchored on ihsan, and it's anchored on knowledge, and that so on goodness, on a knowledge. And that the heart of wisdoms begins with these elementary relationships of gratitude and thankfulness. And a commitment to the principle of goodness itself. And a perseverance in the path of goodness itself. And that no attainment of wisdom is possible or no attainment of knowledge, of true knowledge, and no attainment of ihsan, of goodness, is possible without humility. Now, in Surah Al-Baqarah, which is revealed, of course, significantly later on, we know that Allah tells us, وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا that whoever given wisdom 
is given a great deal of goodness. But that lesson was already understood by Muslims after Surah Luqman. That wisdom, when, when, and in fact, the, the, the tradition that is often attributed to the Prophet where it says, Al Hikmah, Dallatul Mu'min, that wisdom is, is the province of a Muslim wherever he, a Muslim may find it. Muslim should pursue it. Is some is reportedly was a, that hadith was uttered in the context of Surah Luqman. Muslims clearly understood. I tend to believe that Surah Luqman is a late Meccan revelation. And I tend to believe that they clearly understood that on the path forward, it, it backs up the lessons that they receive from something like Surah Al-Rad and Surah Al-Isra that This religion, this path, is a path not again, not of the the miraculous and the fantastical, not the stories that Al Habs Bunullah would, would would convey of of superstition, but of wisdom anchored in real knowledge, but anchored in moral virtue. And that you are required to pursue this wisdom through the vast oceans of knowledge symbolized by God's pens and ink. Because that's exactly the import of that image when, when, when Muslims built Dar al-Hikmah. The, the, this vast library in Baghdad where they translated the works of Greek philosophers, they adorned Dar al-Hikmah with that verse. They understood that Surah Luqman is saying, you Muslims are not about superstition and fairy tales, you're about virtue and true knowledge. Another critical building block in the civilizational paradigm that Islam brought to humanity. Oh, I, I forgot one thing about in discourses about hikmah, the nature of wisdom. In Surah Luqman, there, there are a lot written about, the, I mean, Surah Luqman is often quoted um, in books of Kalam, which often, books of Kalam, there are often these long discourses about the nature of wisdom. And, you, you know, there are, you can always predict what ayat they're going to, to, to cite, and Surah Luqman is always center in this.
uh, center place. And what they always say about the nature of wisdom is that wisdom is the knowledge of priorities among things. So if you are unable between to unable to choose the most more important and you choose the le less important then you lack wisdom. But they say that for every system of priorities, there has to be a what they often portray, uh, 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 compared to a seed, like a a code that that upon which you build your system of priorities. So they say that you start out with the understanding. That gratitude to Allah is the first priority. So you work out your system of priorities anchored in that moral virtue. So you, if then as you work out your system of priorities, you can't make gratitude of lesser importance. And the edifice of ethics and morality, and especially social morality, is built on relations. And relations have to have what we call in our language a civic logic to them. Because if they lack a civic logic, then relations fall apart. It is some of the most fascinating and also some of the most forgotten part of the Islamic tradition, these discourses in Kalam about how you start with a moral premise and then you build from that an entire moral system, system of ethics. And in Kalam, it was a, it was a point that you don't build a system of ethics based on naqr, based on hadith, and based on text, but based on logic, um, which is fascinating, and, and, um, but also for, utterly forgotten by modern Muslims. But that's Surah Luqman, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.